want to you and to be changed, Lord, because by beholding you, we become changed, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
anyone has a testimony or anything to share, you can feel free. You can be seated. I'd just like to share a little bit of a burden the Lord's placed on my heart this past week. Um, and it was partly due to, there's a, a young man who's a little older than I am, but I've known him for years. Um, lives in Michigan and just recently um, found out that he's separated from his wife. They've been married for five years and it just broke my heart just to see, um, and I don't know the whole story, it doesn't matter, but the enemy loves to see families separated and homes destroyed and I'm just like praying about this. I've had enough. It's been so, more than just people that I've known recently in the past couple of years, especially just for, you know, whatever reason. And just kind of laid on my heart to, feel the Lord laid on my heart to make a list of several young men, older men, whatever, and just call them once a month. Hey, how are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? And begin to link arms. People, we have to link arms and we have to press on and pray for each other. We can't just meet on a Sunday morning and call it good and go home and live our lives. We have to do life together in a sense. And so um, I'm just really burdened for that. But anyways, I'll just open it up and if anyone has anything to share. For those of you who talk to me throughout the week, you know, once I get on to something, then I don't get off of it. Um, but uh, last week, while Phil was preaching, I got lost in Daniel. He was somewhere in Daniel, and then I just kept right on going, and I got completely immersed in it. But I think it was of the Lord. I was reading Daniel chapter 4. Now, kids, what do you remember when you think of Daniel? Michael, what do you think of when you think of Daniel? Nothing comes to mind. He, he prayed out of his window. Oh, that's better than what I thought you were going to come up with. Okay. Darius, what do you think of when you think of Daniel? 
Uh, you hide. Okay, Daniel didn't do that. Um, okay. Hmm, who else can I pick on here? Bradley. Daniel in the lines then, okay. Well, there's something else that Daniel was really good at, and that was interpreting dreams. And if you read Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel needed to, to interpret this dream. But what I, what I thought interesting, and well, now I'm all of a sudden going to be in the wrong verse here, but I thought this was so much. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And then it goes on to say that he had a dream. And then if you get down to where he needed Daniel, and he asked Daniel to come in that he may interpret that dream. And Daniel came in there and he said, My Lord, may this dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel didn't actually want to tell him what the interpretation was. He was scared. But at the same time, he still went on with it. But if you go down to verse 26... And this was said over and over and over in this chapter. Uh, well, at least four times at least. So not over and over, but multiple times in this chapter is said. And it was commanded, was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. And your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that... Oh, sorry, I went in the wrong verse here. Oh, I mean, in the last part of chapter, uh, verse 25, it says... It was telling him that he was going to eat grass for up to seven years... Until you, and it says, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And over this last week, listening to all the different things with politics or anything, if you were paying any attention to the news, how quickly we could lose our focus on Jesus Christ and the things of God. But that very end of that verse, multiple times, it said, and I will give it. Now I'm going to read it again. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It's not us that determines that. It is still God. He is the one that will still determine who is ruling on this earth. And if I have that faith in Christ in in that situation, then why do I need to worry and fret? Do I lose my peace, my joy in Christ because of the situation in this world? I shouldn't be because I know who truly rules. Men may think they rule. Nebuchadnezzar thought he ruled. It was only a year after that time, after Daniel interpreted this dream, that Nebuchadnezzar is standing on a palace going, look upon this great Babylon that I have built. And what happened the next day? He was as a beast and eating grass. That's the God that I serve. The God who has the power to take. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in his time. And all of a sudden he was eating grass like that seven years later it says he came to his senses and what was the first thing he did he recognized god and he humbled himself before him and the next thing that happened his counselors sought him out and his kingdom was restored to him that's the god that i serve amen men think they have all this power all this control they have nothing god is in complete and ultimate control even of situations we look at and say that are so big, so great, that's not, that's not how it is. They still are under the hand of a mighty God that controls it all.
Amen. Let's stand up and sing together, How Great Is Our God.
Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right, the children come forward. And Lel, are you still planning on... So I'm going to sing with them, and then you're going to... You got to... Okay. So... Wow, the crowd got smaller. Who's missing? Well, one. Oh, there's two more of them. The one in the front seat. See, he thinks he got taller. See, it's not about age anymore. It's about height. So it's a good thing you're not too short. We'd have you up here. <laughs> What song do you want to sing? God's not dead. That's always a good one. God's not dead. No. up tied up already you do so Lukey he didn't sing at all on the last song um, so so we have him sing a solo okay the way I always sing a sing a solo was so low Oh, Tangled, okay. So you learned how to do it, now you like to sing it. Maybe you should teach Sherry. Because <laughs> Sherry always hides behind the post. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll do Wrapped Up, Tied Up. Ready? Wrapped Up, Tied Up.
That was worth a nugs. Uh, yeah, you really gave it to it. Yeah. You didn't even stay behind the post the whole time. So these songs are seeming a little complicated for Lukey. So I thought maybe we should do building up the temple. Does that work? It is. Which one? Building up the temple? Maybe, maybe your dad's gonna have to read you through Second um, uh, Kings, or is it? Yeah, Second Kings, isn't it? Where Solomon builds the temple? I, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get it wrong. But so, I mean, it's a lot more complicated than Rennie. I know you got boots on and they're noisy. All right. Um, building up the temple, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Hey, brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple of the Lord. Building up Somebody special? Yeah. yeah. G again? Well, I'm just may as well stay there. God made me somebody special. Somebody special. Yes, sir. God made me somebody special. Somebody special. Yes. careful oh be careful little eyes what you, you know that one leaning on the Lord's side well let's do oh be careful little eyes and oh we got a couple more songs here you want to do leaning 
Okay, we'll do Lenny. job, Sherry. Oh, careful. You fall over there if you stand off that edge. Okay. Um, so, oh, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know that one? Uh, no. no, you don't know it? Well, you're going to have to learn it. See? See? Huh? E? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above, and he's looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, Nobody ever. Which one? Oh, that I forgot about that. Oh, be careful, little mouth.
Okay, so do you understand why you sang all those things? Okay, so why would we sing, oh, be careful little knows what you smell? Oh, we didn't sing that? Which one did we say? Oh, your eyes? So why are we supposed to be careful what we look at? What do we see? Do we want to see... Do we want to see... Hmm, let me see. Your friends? Oh, that's a good thing to see, I guess. I don't know. Huh? Bible friends? Eyeball friends? Okay. So do you want to, uh, do you want your feet to take you to bad places? So we want to be careful where we go. And, oh man, I'm forgetting all of the ones. Uh, why would we be careful where we put our heart? That's right. Can we put our, what's some of the things we can turn our heart to? That's the best one. That's, that's same thing. What else, what are some of the things that we don't want to turn our hearts to? things of this world like money, food, cookies, hot cocoa, flowers. Those are the things we don't want to turn our heart to. Oh, I know. But what are, do you think we're going to you think we're going to be just over there at the flowers? Oh, oh, the flowers. When Jesus is standing right over here, you think that's what we're going to be doing? I don't think so either. <laughs> The flowers will compare, pale in comparison to Jesus. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more song that I'll give Lel. Turn the time over to Lel. One more song. What do you got? Cast Your Burdens? That's the one you like? Okay. I think y'all have been uh, sitting long enough now. You can all join up. I left you off the hook last Sunday, so. All right. That's true. (laughs) All right, are you ready? Here we go. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you.
That's the most Pentecostal I've ever seen this church get. Oh, 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 still got a story. Sit down. Huh? Oh, you get to go sit down when you're 12? <laughs> All right, let's sit down. Lel, go ahead. Yeah. Huh? Do you want the whole stand or do you want just to hold the mic? Okay. So, um, last week, Phil talked to us, among other things, about how God provides for us. And sometimes it's in the little things. It's not always when we're in a crisis situation or a really difficult situation. And so today, I wanted to share with you some missionary, a missionary story, and it will be my own story, <laughs> of how God provided in some very simple ways, but very meaningful ways to me. Um, when I was younger, I thought about being a missionary, and I thought I was going to go to Africa. But um, a person came through our church, and he talked about France. And he said there was a need in France for missionaries, and I was surprised. But, you know, in America, think of a group of 100 people. Okay, in uh, America, maybe 30, over 30 people in that group would be true Christians. Do you know how many people in that group in France would be a Christian? One. Woo. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> you trained, trained him well. <laughs> yeah. And um, in my hometown in New Mexico, we had about 16,000 people, and we had like 33 churches. And in my town in France, which was 25,000 people, how many churches do you think there were? No. Okay. Well, in a town of 25,000, one church. And it served for both the uh, Re uh, Reformed Church, which is a sort of a Protestant church, and the evangelical church, and the Catholic church. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, there was no evangelical church. There was just Reformed church and Catholic church, and they shared the same building. So I decided to go to France, God. I felt God was leading me to go to France. And I asked God to confirm to me through different things that that was really his will for me. And he began to show me. I was feeling like that was what he wanted. But... Um, you know what? I really, at that time in my life, was enjoying going to health food stores because I wanted to take care of my health, and so I wanted to eat well. And so I sort of, um, I sort of loved organic cookies, but <laughs> I did not put that above God. And I said, "Okay, God, I want to go to France, but I don't think there's even any health food stores in France." So I was kind of feeling, oh, I was kind of disappointed. But I wasn't going to let that keep me from going to France. But I was asking God to confirm to me that his will was that I go. And so one day I was working as a physical therapist. I stopped in a store to buy some lunch. I stopped in a health food store. 
And so I bought a little box of cookies. And so I came back out to the car and I sat down. I was looking at the cookies and I turned it to the back and it said, Biscuit Biologique. And I thought, oh, it's in French. That's interesting. And then I looked down and it said, Made in France. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Even a small detail like that. God knew that I cared about that, and it was kind of one of his ways of saying, you know, I will take care of you, and I will provide. So then I went to France, and when I got there, I needed to find a car pretty quickly because you, you can get around with the train and the metro, but you also need a car. So I was praying about that, and then one day I found out, well, before going to France, I was a physical therapist, so I was making a pretty nice salary. So when I went as a missionary, my salary dropped down quite a bit. <laughs> so I had to be careful, so I was praying for a car. And I found out that a former missionary who had left France had left his car to be sold. So I thought, oh, okay, I found out the price, I found out the, the type of car, and I thought, I know that's a good car, so I'm going to go get it. I'm just going to go get it, sight unseen, because I knew he would have taken care of it. So I drove up there, and I drove into the gas station where I knew the car was, and I looked over, and I saw this car that was like a pea green color. Now, I don't want to offend anybody who has a green car, but I did not like this color. <laughs> and my heart kind of sank. It was, same, it was a Ford Fiesta. And then I saw there were like dents on the door. It was kind of dented in, and I thought, oh... Okay, Lord, but you provided this car, and I'm not going to complain, and I'm sure it works well. So I went inside the gas station, and then I said, yeah, I'm here to see the car. And the man goes, yeah, it's over there. And it was a different car. <laughs> and it was a nice brown metallic paint, and it was in very good condition. And I used that car for many years after that, and it was at a very good price. So that was one thing. Well, then I had, in the meantime, I had found a health food store in France. And I went there sometimes, and I got to know the couple there and was able to share a little bit with them about what I did and why I was in France. And, and so we sort of got to know one another. And not too long after that, um, one day I went into the store, and they were closing down. So the guy said, well, you know, we're closing down, so here, look, if you want to take some of this food. And he gave me a couple of boxes full of health food. <laughs> so that was another provision. And then also, when I went to France, I found out there was another single woman who was doing the same type of work that I was going to be doing. She had been there already for three years, and she was living in a little studio. And so when I came, we were able to find an apartment and share the apartment, and we shared that apartment for many years together. And it was a nice, big apartment, which is kind of unusual in France. And because there were two of us, we could afford to pay it, and we were able to invite people and have them over and have meetings there and have women's Bible studies. And so in the very beginning of my time in France, I saw how God provided in the basic needs, car, food, and house. And that was really something that held me during all my years in France because I saw how God was going to provide for me, even in the small things like an organic cookie. <laughs>
Morning. Thank you all for sharing in the service already, or the worship team and Lel. Thank you for sharing your story with the children and and with all of us. And so many things I'm hearing this morning are just are just going together, and it's it goes with what I was thinking as well. Uh, great selection of songs, Jason. Um, what was the song? Was it How Great Is Our God? Is that what we sang this morning? Yeah, one of those. Um, and Carrie alluded to this in the uh, in his testimony sharing as well. And what Lel shared with God taking care of basics and even the littlest things goes with this too. Um, when you think of Jesus, you know, sometimes it's Jesus, God, okay, whatever abstract type of feeling I'm dealing with the here and now and, and the present, and, and I see all these problems. And it's, sometimes it's hard to bring Jesus into our daily lives with some of that. But listen, listen to this. In Colossians, there's there's a little snippet describing Jesus that just encompasses everything that he's done and what he is, really. And perhaps not everything, but it gives a very good snapshot of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to just read a couple of verses here about Christ. 13, starting out, uh, Colossians 1, verse 13, what he did for us, he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now how big do the problems around you look? Should be a lot smaller if you have those verses in perspective. And it just goes with how, how, great, how great our God is. All the things around us, all the problems in the nation or the world. That's only happening because God says it's, it can. He knows it. He's allowed 
for the most part, the kingdom of the world to rule the world. And in large part is given control of a lot of things of the world over, over to Satan. But you know what? And I don't, I don't totally understand the theology of this, at least not to explain it well. But you know, Satan is only able to operate because God allows he's, he's allowing him to do the things that he's doing. And it's only, it's only because God allows it. And, and Satan obviously had the choice to go his own way or to follow God way back nearly in the beginning. And sometimes it's hard, it's hard to grasp that. that yeah, God, God is all-powerful. And, it, you know, in my human mind, well, if God is all-powerful, why can't he just stop the devil in, in his uh, ruling of the world? Well, one day he will. But it's such a comfort to know that, you know, in those, in those verses describing God, it just, when I read those again this morning, it just made everything on the earth look so small. And you know what, if, and that's not to say things aren't important that we deal with in our, in our everyday life, but if we have that perspective that the things around us are so small compared to Christ, it's going to make your life a whole lot more pleasant. It's going to make your life a whole lot more livable, if you will, if we have that perspective of Jesus Christ. So welcome you all this morning. I hope you've uh, enjoyed the, the worship and our time together so far this morning. Um, I don't think we have that many announcements, but uh, as normal again, we're having a meal after the service, and you all are welcome to stay for that and enjoy the fellowship of the afternoon. We were going to have uh, Judah Kofer from Windsor Christian Fellowship here sharing with us today, but I understand he may have uh, been contracted or been exposed to COVID or something. So uh, obviously he's not here today, but be in prayer for their family in their sickness. And uh, hopefully he'll be recuperated and be able to be with us in the next week or two. Um, but in the meantime, as always, Phil has a word on uh, his heart that the Lord has given him. Instant in season and out of season, right? <laughs> I will time, turn the time over to Phil this morning. Let's pray before we do that. Thank you, Father, for this time here together this morning. I thank you that you are here with us and that you care for us and that you have showed us how truly great you are and that all the things around us, even all the kingdoms of this world, are just a drop in the bucket compared to you and your greatness. And I pray that we would live with that perspective in our lives and that it would change how we live our lives. I thank you for your word and that we can hear from you freely as we open our ears and our minds and our hearts to you. And I pray that that's what we would do this morning, and that you would speak through the words that uh, Phil has to share. And I pray your blessing on this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Lord, as we continue to pray. Father, I pray that your very presence would come and as you promised in Romans chapter 5, you would pour out your Holy Spirit into our souls, Lord, 
Without it, we are empty and dark. But Lord, when you come through your living words spoken into our souls, you bring light and life, eternal life. That's what we long for, Lord. That's what I need. That's what we need this morning again from you. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you can continue to pray for Judah and Heather. They did contract COVID. And it's been a couple of weeks ago, or at least a, a week or more, he said, and their family has recovered. He still has a slight cough. And so he just wanted to take an extra precaution and not expose anyone. But Lord willing, he'll be here. They'll be here next weekend with us. And he'll share the word. The Lord has been putting this word on my heart. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. God is speaking these words. Did you get it? God is speaking. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Heaven is where God is sitting, and the earth is where he's propping up his feet. And you think you're a big person? Very important. You're living on God's footstool. Where then is a house you build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one, to this one person, I will look. I want you to get this. God is sitting on his throne in heaven. And this morning he's propping up his feet on the earth. And he's looking. Who is he looking at? Have you ever felt someone's gaze upon you? You know, sometimes this happens before couples get, you know, acquainted and begin a courtship relationship. You know what is one of the first vibes of love? That happens between a man and a woman. She feels his gaze. You've been there? Katie and I have. Many of you married people have. Some of you unmarried people have. Even as, you know, teenagers. The guy is just looking at me. What? You get it. You begin to... Something happens with the gaze. My dear friend, God is looking at someone this morning. His gaze is upon a person. Not everyone, but to this person. But to this one, I will gaze. That's the word, the look word. God is saying, I will gaze to him who is humble and contrite of spirit. That word contrite 
is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. You know what it means to have a meek and a contrite heart? It means to have your hands open. The real original meaning is not a grabber. Hands open. Blessed are the meek. Is your heart like this before God this morning? I don't know what you do with a hand that's stretched out. But it speaks something. If someone were just to come to you, if your child were to come to you, or your wife, or your husband comes to you, and they just stretch out their hand, maybe you're walking down the sidewalk. And you come along someone, and they, they stretch out their hand. Maybe it's an icy morning like this morning. What would you do? Would you just walk by and put your hands in your pockets? Roscoe is saying, no way. What would you do? Extend your hand. That's what we would do. It's a natural response when someone's hand is like this. When your children's hands are like this, it means they want something. Your hands kick into action. Blessed are the meek before God. And James promises these words. When we draw near to God, God draws near to us. I'm going to read you those words. In James. Chapter 4. Submit, verse 7. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I don't know how you resist the devil. Or what comes to your mind of how you should resist the devil. But this is the real way, the true way, the only way the devil will flee from you and me. If you try it with your fists, if you determine it in your heart, if you yell at the devil, he won't flee. He'll laugh at you. He'll mock you to scorn and he'll fight with you. But there's one true way to resist the devil where he runs for his life. Draw near to God. That's how we resist the devil. And he runs. He cannot stand in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot stand in their presence. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That word purify there means no more double-mindedness, no more thinking this way one day and thinking the other way the next day. No more drinking out of the cup of the devil one day and then coming to God the next day. No, no. Purify your hearts towards God. And he will draw near to you. To him who is humble, contrite of spirit, and to him who is humble, has his hands open to God, and who trembles at my word. That word tremble is reverence. Stand in awe. Stand in awe. 
at His Word. Your heart, when you read His Word, is, oh, wow. That's the one God is looking at this morning. King David knew that well, and he experienced it regularly with God. Look what he says in Psalm 119, verse 18. His prayer to God, this whole psalm is a psalm of prayer. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, has 176 verses. Why? Because David is in worship, pouring out his heart before God. He is doing exactly what Isaiah 66 expresses that God was gazing upon David and David had his hands towards God. And he was humble and contrite. And he was trembling at God's word. Look what he says. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold, look at, gaze, that I may behold wonder things from thy law things that cause you to wonder do you see those kind of things when you read the Bible things that cause you to wonder you do only if God opens the eyes of your understanding to behold these things as you read his word if you come to his word to stand in awe. These are some of the things you'll experience. David said later throughout this psalm. He says, I have not turned aside in verse 102. I have not turned aside from thine ordinances. For thou thyself hast taught me. And what happens when God himself teaches you his word? This is what happens. It affects your taste buds. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweeter than honey. Honey is sweet, but God's word becomes like honey on toast. I love Michael and I, we enjoy a good piece of bread, toasted butter, and honey. Woo, that is delicious. If you haven't tried it, you should. And whenever I eat toast, buttered, and honey, I think of these words. Lord, I'm coming for breakfast. Toast, butter, and honey. And it's better than that to my spirit. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Now this expression is, it's a very dark night, is the context. And God's word is like a flashlight. It's not a room light, it's a light to your feet and to your path. It doesn't light up your whole world. It lights up your path. For your feet. So that you don't trip up and stumble and fall on your face. God's word will light. Momentarily tell you what to do. It will guide you when you wonder. What shall I do Lord? How shall I respond Lord? It's a light. 
shows you the way. And then it puts a longing into your heart. Psalm 119, verse 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for thy words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on thy word. It gets you up at night. I don't know, dear brother, sister, if you get up at night to read this word, to hear God's voice shining into your heart, satisfying your soul, giving you guidance for the next day, preparing your heart for what lies in store. But if you don't, you're really missing something. Many people, especially as we get older, and I'm not that old, I'm not 50 yet, but I get up at night, I wake up, I don't even know why, but I do, and I keep my Bible on my nightstand, on purpose, so it's really easy to grab it, and to go out and turn on my light. If you don't know God in the night seasons, my dear friend, you're missing a whole night without God. Your life is missing a big chunk of his very presence that David understood. And he lived, and you can too. God is inviting us in the night seasons to speak his word into our hearts and to give us peace. If you get up at night, and sometimes we do. How many of you guys have dreams at night? Anybody? Are they always dreams of heaven? I pray that over our boys every night. Lord, give them heavenly dreams where they hear your voice. But it doesn't always happen. Even if I fall asleep reading my Bible, I can wake up in the night and have a dream that I have no idea where it came from. And it's weird and it's crazy and it upsets my spirit. It doesn't feel good. I don't know what to do with it. What do you do with it? Just toss and turn and try to sleep and finally you fall asleep again. You miserable wretch. If that's what you do with it, you're miserable. That's what, how you deal with bad dreams. My dear brother, sister, God is waiting to talk with you and to share his word with you when you get a bad dream. And how sad that so many of his children stay in bed and toss and turn and deal with a bad dream just like the world does. Someone who doesn't even know God. God may allow that dream to draw you to himself. To say, come, I want to talk with you. And this is the result. Those who love thy law have great peace and nothing shall cause them to stumble. I want to encourage you, my dear brother, sister, to experience God this way. Even now, as we come to his word. In John chapter 6, we're going through the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 6, verse 15, 
Jesus therefore perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and to make him king withdrew again to the mountain to himself alone. Now that is amazing to me. I hope it puts you in what? Wonder. What is Jesus up to? Verse 16, now when evening came, his disciples came down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. You'll notice in chapter 6, Jesus had crossed the sea from Galilee into, uh, over to um, Tiberias. And that's where he met this multitude and that's where he broke the bread to them and he taught them all day. And now the day was ending and the disciples wanted to go home. And Jesus, where was he? He had left. He just snuck out. And it had already become dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. So what to do? I guess we go home, they thought. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When therefore... They had rowed about three or four miles. Have you ever rowed a boat? About three or four miles. Boys and I went fishing a couple summers ago. I bought this little boat. And we didn't know how to fire up the engine or the engine. Oh, no. It was, we weren't allowed to have the engine, right? Yep, it was up a Pinewood Reservoir. Not allowed to have the engine. Yes, Lukey. We did almost sink it. We forgot to put the plug in. We didn't realize they had put a plug in the back and taken it out to drain the boat. We started going out there, oaring, and water was coming in the boat. Water, more water. And I was getting worried. I told the boys, what's going on? We're sinking, boys. We started oaring for sure. We got there, and lo and behold, the plug was laying there on the bottom of the boat. But we went out there and we started oaring. I hadn't oared a boat for a long time. And the boys, I don't think you guys had ever oared a boat, had you? Yeah, once? Oh, a kayak. It's hard work, guys. It's hard work. I was exhausted. Until we got to the middle of that little lake. I hadn't even gone a quarter of a mile. These guys had rowed for three or four miles against the wind. It was a strong wind. Have you been at it? A big lake when there was a strong wind. The waves are crashing against you. I think they were exhausted. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened, freaked out, is that word. They freaked out. Can you imagine these 12 guys in a boat, exhausted in the middle of the night? A stormy wind, the water whooshing up against you, the wind howling in your ears. And all of a sudden you see a guy walking on the water coming at you. Wouldn't you be a little freaked out? I think we all would. And Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. They 
knew his voice. Don't forget that. They knew who was talking. They recognized his voice. And they were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Just like that. No more wind, no more storm. And just like that, you're in that land. You land. And lo and behold, it's home. You're immediately at home. The next day, the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there were, was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you get here, Lord? We'll stop there. I don't know what this story has done for you up to this point in your life. Or even as we read it, what it has spoken to your heart. But as I cry out to God, the words of David, Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things out of your word. These are some things that the Lord brought to my heart and I want to share with you. The first thing I see in verse 15 is that Jesus had wrought this great miracle in front of the people by taking five loaves and two fishes and satisfying the people. He satisfied their physical need of food. And they were amazed, so amazed. They wanted to make him king. Let's make this man king. And Jesus escapes. The desire to have a king is so strong in our hearts as humans. We are always looking for a champion. Someone to champion our cause. Someone to be that great mighty leader which can not only provide for us but conquer our enemies and rule for us. We are looking for a champion. Are you? You are. You may not know it, but you are. Deep within the heart of man, we want a champion. And God's people are not exempt from this strong, passionate desire. Just look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. And let's look at how God's people were overcome by this desire to have a king. Now these things are all written, Paul tells the Corinthians and tells us, that these things are written for our instruction. The Word of God is written, in particularly the Old Testament, is written for our instruction, for our example, that we should not 
Someone tell me that we should not lust like they did. So when you and I have this strong desire to have a champion for our cause and we recognize it, we see I'm being affected by this. I'm being taken up by this desire. Come read First Samuel 8 and let the Lord instruct you, my dear brother, sister, with this warning. Verse 1, and it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Samuel had judged them for many, many years, all the days of his life. Verse 15 tells us of chapter 7. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways. God's people are left down. They're vulnerable. They're not being led rightly. In fact, but they turned aside after dishonest gain. There's corruption in God's people's leadership. There's corruption. And they took bribes and perverted justice. And enough was enough for God's people. They couldn't go on like this anymore. There's all kinds of corruption, perversion, injustice going on in God's leadership of his people. These were Samuel's sons. Don't you think they were left down? Oh, yes, they were. Can you identify with them? Yes, you can. We all can. In our being led by even godly men, being influenced, all of us have been influenced by God's people, men whom God has used to minister his word to our lives. And they will let you down, even men as good as Samuel. And so what do God's people do? And all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you've grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint a king for us to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel was the only one of all these elders of Israel that understood this problem. They all believed this was going to be a solution to the injustice and the perversion and the corruption in their leadership. Was it? No. We only know this because we're seeing from behind the scenes. But do you know this and recognize this in your life? When you have to live by faith and you can't look back? Do you recognize it, dear brother, sister? That the desire, seemingly even a good solution for a champion, for a leader in your life, in the midst of your let down experience by God's people, the answer is not looking for a king, another champion. No. You see what they were doing was rejecting God as their leader and looking for a man. That's what, how God seen it. 
God said to Samuel later on, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And Samuel understood that. He didn't defend his sons like Eli did. He didn't even defend his own ministry to them. He defended God. Samuel got what they were doing. They wanted to let God out of the picture and claim a man as their champion. And today, we're still like that. You are, and I am. And if you sit here and deny it, you're being delusional. Because it's true. We're like that. These people were like that. Jesus had met their needs in John chapter 6. And they wanted a king. God's people were looking for a champion. Someone to break the Roman, the Roman rule over them. Someone to bring them together. Someone to lead them. They needed a champion badly. And when they go for that, Jesus leaves. And dear brother, sister, God's warning to you and I is, if you go for that, Jesus will leave. He won't go with you. You're on your own. Just like God's people were. God took a back seat. Was God still able to redeem them? Yes. But God suffered a loss. A direct influence over his people. God's people suffered that loss. Because they were seeking God through a man instead of that direct drawing near to God when they so desperately needed a champion. That's how the Lord spoke that first principle out of John 6 to me. Phil, be aware in your own heart when you are let down, when there's injustice and corruption, don't go looking for a champion among men. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, and I will be your king. Don't go there, my dear brothers and sisters. When you're looking for a champion, don't look to a man. Don't go with the masses. Don't get caught up in it. You'll be distracted from God, and instead of setting your affection on things above and not on the earth, as it tells us in Colossians chapter 3, your affections will follow your champion. And I think in the end times, this is how many of God's people will lose their way. And their love for God will grow cold because Satan will give them a champion. Satan will give them a champion. But Jesus won't go there. Jesus said later on, when on trial in John, in John chapter 18, John chapter 18, standing before Pilate, Jesus said these words, and I wonder if you've heard your king say these words to you. If Jesus is your king, have you heard him say these words to you? Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I may not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. 
What cause are you fighting for, dear brother, sister? Is it an earthly cause? It is, is it a social cause? It may be a good earthly cause. You may be sick and tired of the injustice and the perversion and the corruption. But if you're fighting for an earthly cause, Jesus is not your king. He's not there. He's not fighting with you. Heaven is not behind you supporting your cause. No. My kingdom is not of this world. It's of a spiritual. It's not of this realm. It's in another realm. A spiritual realm. And Paul, Apostle Paul understood this. And this was his cry to the Corinthian people. The church at Corinth And Corinth was a place where there was strong political movements moving through the city. A very influential city in Rome and in the Greek world. And Paul has this to say to the Christians living in this city. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians. Is it first? Second. Sorry. I am in first. I'll read these words to you. As I believe they pertain to you and I right now. Second Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, verse 3, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying. What are you destroying? What are you destroying with God's help in your life? Are you fighting for social causes? Are you fighting injustice and corruption in the world? How are you going about it? This is what Apostle Paul said. The Holy Spirit is going about it this way. We are destroying speculations are you are you taking speculations you know what that is speculations is when people think they know something it's thoughts it's in here in the mind I'm destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God Are you? Dear brother, sister, there are many things, lofty things, high, noble things coming against God's knowledge, your knowledge of Him today. Are you destroying those things? Are you? Boy, it's amazing to me how God's people are distracted with earthly causes And their soul taken up with it. You know what happens every time our knowledge of God is hindered because our affections are now down here. And we're taken up with that. And instead of being taken up with God's word and opening our eyes to wonderful things in his word. Instead of him dealing with our dreams. Him dealing and speaking to us in the night seasons. His voice being the thing which guides us like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We're taken up with what everyone else is saying. Men are saying. 
And we give a lot more of our time and listen to what men are saying about things of this world than what we even do giving to the voice of our king. Because his kingdom is not here. It's not in this realm. It's in the heavenlies. And there's all kinds of lofty things. That means high things, good things coming against your knowledge of God today. And if Satan can distract you and give you a champion of those things, he'll lead you astray from the pure, devoted love of Jesus. This was Paul's burden. In the next chapter, chapter 11 of Corinthians, he says this to them. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betroth you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That pure virgin love. Christ is distracted and Paul was deeply jealous over the Corinthian church at this moment in their life and God the Holy Spirit is jealous over us as God's people I felt this deep burden of his jealousy in my life have you ever had a jealous love have you ever seen a jealous love It's very caring. It's very protective. It does something. It's very passionate. It's not passive. When you're feeling a jealous love. Oh, I've seen this many a times. Even a simple thing as counseling people. Married couples. I'm very careful as a pastor that I never go alone in a room counseling a woman. That Satan takes advantage of me. But I prayed with many sisters up front here. Someone just pouring out their heart. And they're sharing their hearts with me. And they're a married sister. And I'm here listening. And the next thing I know, here comes a guy. And he comes up like this and he puts his arm around her. He's seen her crying. And he's standing there. Like this. That's kind of the motion. He doesn't do that. That's how I feel. Jealous love. She's my wife, Phil. You can pray with her. I'm jealous. She's my wife. And that's good and that's right. And if a husband doesn't do that, I get worried because there's more problems. The Holy Spirit does this to you and me. When he sees us get distracted and get emotional about things on the earth, the Holy Spirit comes right on over, puts his arm around us. You're my virgin. I care. Open your heart to that. Dear brother, sister, open your hands. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. You double-minded. God will draw near to you. When we want a champion, an earthly man, as king... Jesus leaves. First thing I see. The next thing I seen 
or 16, it's getting dark. Evening. Jesus did leave. They did want a king. They tried to crown him. And when you go there, and Jesus leaves, and you all of a sudden have no sense of God's presence in your heart, You've been taken up with these passions of the world. You've been clamoring for a king. You have found the champion, you think. And there's so much injustice and corruption going on. And... But all of a sudden, you're left in the dark. You really have no idea what's going on. You're lost inside. You feel alone. You don't sense the presence of the Holy Spirit anymore. It's gone. And it gets night. And so, you go home. You go home where your comfort zone is. Maybe you go back to a place where you feel comfortable. Maybe you call a brother. You call your sister. Maybe you call your dad, your mom. Maybe you, you seek some place where was a comfort zone in your heart. You go home. That's where you set your heart to go. I'm going home. That's what the disciples did. And in the dark night, that's where we all go. We try to go home to a place of rest, to a place we know. And when we do, God loves us so much, He sends the storm. He sends the wind. Now, how many of you would agree that God was in this storm? Or would you think he was completely absent from it? It was just an event. It just got windy. That's all. Poor disciples, bad luck. Is that what you think? You're mistaken. It wasn't bad luck. God was in the storm. Jesus came in the storm. That's how he came back to them. Through the wind howling, through their exhaustion of going home to seek comfort. In the dark night, and in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking to them. Dear brother, sister, dear lost soul, in the midst of your storm, Jesus comes walking. Jesus comes. Will you recognize him? Will you hear his voice when you're completely freaked out? It is I. Don't be afraid. Trust me, he says. Trust me. I am here in the midst of your dark night, of your tempestuous storm, of your exhausted experience. It is I. Do not be afraid. If you will, open your hands and hear him say, don't be afraid. And you receive him. That's what they did. They were willing, verse 21, therefore to receive him into the boat. You and I, dear brother, sister, need to be willing to receive Jesus in the midst of our storm into our hearts, into our souls, into our boat, into our experience of where we are right now. When you open your heart and you receive him in, you'll immediately get 
where you were going. Comfort, peace, safety from the storm. You'll be at home. Soon as they received Jesus into the boat, they were at home. And they slept a good night's rest. The next verses and the next morning. Don't you think they slept well that night? Don't you think they worshipped in their hearts that night? And they were in awe of this man, Jesus. I think they were. And you and I can be too. And the next day, the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea was trying to figure all this out. They had seen Jesus did not get into that boat. They had seen the disciples. It was dark, and so they got in the boat. They had seen him roll away. And they're trying to figure all this out. And they knew there were other boats, but Jesus wasn't there. And so they come and say, how did you get here, Jesus? If other people come into your life in the midst of this experience, they'll ask, how did Jesus get here? How did you find Jesus in your experience? Don't be surprised if others also wonder. That's the word the Lord brought to me. Don't be surprised if others also come and seek Jesus because of how you and I experienced him this way. And they will. They will find him. And they will experience him. And it's you and I's opportunity to share Christ and his life to others. Your brother, sister, open up your heart this morning. If you've been straying away and your emotions and your affections have been on this world, seeking a champion, maybe just to cause the champion. If you're here and you've been disappointed and discouraged by the corruption in God's people in your life, if through that experience you feel lost and alone and it's dark, you have no clue what to do and you can't see even the foot ahead of you. If in that experience you're seeking comfort and a place to go home and the Lord has brought up a stormy sea of emotions and contradictions in your endeavor to seek comfort and it seems like all your plans are frustrated, listen for the voice of Jesus. Behold him. Receive him into your life. You'll get where you're going. In a moment, when you receive him, you'll get where you're going. Peace, love, joy will flood your being. And you'll feel his comfort. A peace that surpasses all understanding, as he tells us, Colossians. And then when others come, you'll have a word to share with them. Not a political word, not a word of champion, not a word of your cause. The word of Christ is the only word you'll have to share. The work of Christ in your life.
This word. Oh, I love the words of Paul. When he said these words, and this word has been deeply penned on my heart. The Lord has been speaking that almost every day to me. Colossians chapter 1. And we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Is that the word? Your world is hearing from you? Proclaiming him so that you can present your children, your wife, your sister, your brothers, your friends, your neighbors. You can present them to Jesus because that's what they hear coming out of your mouth. God bless you. Oh, my Father, shepherd of our souls, come once again today as we listen to your voice. Tremble at your word. Seek you with open hands. A meek and a contrite spirit, we draw near to you, our Father in heaven. Sanctify us and make us holy, even as you are holy. Set us apart for your service, for your glory, for your work, for your kingdom that is not of this realm. Make us effective in that realm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word with us again this morning. Does anyone have... uh, testimony or something that the Lord spoke to you this morning give you just a minute if you haven't uh, shared this morning and the Lord has spoken to you please do then you know that's that's really where it starts is is having that perspective and, and realizing and I can I can say the same for me and I think everyone else here can too to a certain degree that we all we we all need that same growth in our lives that that you expressed and I think that the danger is if we get to the point that we say well well it's not it's it's not an issue for me anymore I've I've totally conquered this thing but while while we live in the flesh while while you can live in victory, victory is is there uh, through Jesus Christ. But I believe we always have, uh, you know, we have the flesh to deal with that that tries to distract us from having the proper perspective. But it starts with realizing that we have to, that we have. Heavenly to. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. You told us, Father, that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray, Lord, as we lift up our brother Tim, Lord, you know our human struggle in this life. And we all come together, Lord. We come and kneel down before your throne of grace.
to find mercy and help in our time of need. I come, Father, present you myself, Lord, and my brothers and sisters before you, and I cry out to you, O Father, come and be our helper. And I thank you that you promised, indeed, you will hear our cry. You told us in Joel, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, to him who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So, Lord, we come to call upon your name to confess our deep need of you and our struggle and to believe, Lord, we come believing that you will help us. You will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit from on high to dwell in our hearts. You will pour out that Holy Spirit of strength. You will do as you promised in Ephesians chapter 3, strengthen us with all might in our inner man by your Holy Spirit so that we can be rooted and grounded in your love. I pray that for my brother and for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Anyone else before we close? I think lunch is ready, so let's not delay that. And... Uh, continue to fellowship around the word of God. Let's all stand and we'll ask a blessing on our meal. And once again, everyone, everyone, please stay and partake of that and join in the fellowship. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had together here this morning. Thank you for opening your word to us and for once again convicting us with the truth of your word. And I pray that as we leave this place that we would not only be hearers of the word, we would not only be convicted by the word, but that that conviction would bring change in our lives from day to day. Thank you for the food that you've provided for us today. We pray your blessing on it and on our fellowship this afternoon. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you're dismissed. <laughs>